Vaughn, you led that song, Pray All the Time, and it, those of us that have been around a while, of which I am now one of those people, which surprises me that I have reached that point. Can't sing that song without thinking of Liesel. He would, back in the old building, every time we'd have singing, he'd want to make sure that we sang that song. Mac Bonds cornered me out there, and he said, Tim, I didn't know you could preach a sermon that short. And then he said, but now that I think about it, you'll probably just take extra time next Sunday. <laughs> so, so he gave me permission. So yeah, we'll go with that. Uh, you know, in education, there's this uh, uh, conflict, I guess, or idea of, you know, how to best uh, determine the, the progress of a student. And, you know, in our society now, we have all these standardized tests, you know, and 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 some people are just good at taking tests. Some people are just not good at taking tests. They can know the material. They can work it out. But when they get in to take a test, they just can't do it. I was the opposite. I was always a good test taker. Test didn't bother me. It was the homework and all the other stuff, you know, that kind of bogged me down a little bit. But when we moved from uh, Texas to Virginia my, my junior year in high school, I got this job, or, or could get this job, delivering auto parts for this company in and around the Washington, D.C. area. But in order to do that, I had to have a Virginia driver's license. They would not let me have, or Maryland, Virginia or Maryland driver's license. I could not have my Texas driver's license. So I go to the Virginia DMV, and I tell them what's going on. Of course, I'm just a 17-year-old punk kid. And the lady working behind there had been working there since you got a license to you know, drive a stagecoach. Uh, and so she hands me the book and she says, well, you need to, you know, read this book and study it and come back and take the test. I said, can I take the test now? She said, no, you'll need to read the book and study it. At that point, I decided I was just going to be stubborn. And I said, no, I think I'll go ahead and take the test. Can I take the test now? Well, no, you'll need to study for this test. I said, no, let me just take the driving test, you know, the written part. Let me just take it. And so I took it, and I missed one question. It made her so mad. She was, she was very mad. So, you know, tests. Well, you know, when we think about Abraham's life, it's really milestoned by different tests that Abraham went through. Way back in the very beginning, when God calls him, when he is living in Mesopotamia and Ur of the Chaldeans, and God calls him and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your family, and I want you to just travel to a place that I'm going to show you. That was a pretty big test. A little while later, Abraham gets there, and, and there's a famine in the land. And I think that was a test, in a sense. I can't be 100% sure, but I kind of think that Abraham didn't fare so well on that test. Because you remember, he took his family down to Egypt during the famine. And nothing but bad things happened because of them being down in Egypt. Now, he did get a lot of wealth, I'll grant you that. Uh, but he got crossways with Pharaoh, and that's where the lion started with him and Sarah. And then, you know, that's where Hagar, we assume, came from while they were down there. So, so all the good things happened. And then and on and on through Abraham's life, we see these tests 
of faith. And sometimes, as I said, sometimes he and Sarah passed. Sometimes they didn't fare so well on their tests. But tonight we come to the greatest test of all. You know, if I was writing the Bible, I'm not, it's a good thing. If I was writing the Bible, the story of Abraham and Isaac would have pretty much just ended at Genesis 21. God had been promising for 25 years, I'm going to give you a child. You're going to have a child. Your descendants are going to be numerous. All the nations of the world are going to be blessed for you. Your, your heirs are going to have this land that you're, that you're living in and all this. And 25 years of futility. No children, no children, no children. And then, fi- well, you know, Ishmael, leave him aside. And then finally, when Abraham is 100 years old, Sarah is 90 years old. This tremendous miracle baby comes to life. God beginning to to fulfill his promises through, through Isaac. And that would have been, for me, the perfect place to end the story. Maybe go on, you know, with Isaac and, and his descendants and, and all of that. But, but God had kind of one last test for Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 22, it says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to the servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the word for the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Father, Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they had reached the place that God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, arranged the wood on it, He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your one and only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket was a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. 
And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants and they set off together for Beersheba and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Now, I know we've talked about this story before, and I know you've read it before, and you've studied it before. But there's some things in the story, every time you read it, that just, just remind me of things or that I notice for the first time. I imagine that three-day journey. I don't think I'd ever really, that really impressed upon me before. But God tells Abraham to sacrifice his only son the next morning. Abraham gets up, prepares everything that's going to be needed, and they go on a three-day journey to get to the mountain. Can you imagine what must have been going through Abraham's mind? Those of us, you that are parents, you can just imagine what that trip must have felt like. The other thing that I think we need to remember or we notice from this is I know growing up, at least, as a child, I guess, you know, whenever you hear child and you are a child, you think that the child is the same age you are, maybe. And maybe growing up, I always thought of Isaac being, you know, just a a little kid at the time that this happens. There is no time frame or chronology given as to how old Isaac was when this happened. But we do have some clues. The first clue we have is that Isaac was old enough to comprehend that I've seen daddy sacrifice before. And he uses wood and he uses fire, but he normally brings an animal. And I think that also says something about Abraham and his upbringing of Isaac. That Isaac had seen his father offer sacrifices, seen his father worship. And and as we went through Abraham's life, we saw that just about everywhere Abraham went, he built an altar and worshiped God. So Isaac had to be old enough to kind of reason what was going on here. And secondly, he had to be old enough to be able to carry the wood on his back. So I would say, you know, I don't know how old. I'm going to guess 12-ish or above, you know, just with all, factoring all those things in there. And so he was pretty well aware of what was going on. And I wonder what that situation was like when Abraham begins to bind Isaac's hands. What's going through Isaac's mind? Now, I think I've mentioned this before, maybe when we studied this. But I may be just a 12-year-old kid. But Abraham's 100 plus. If if Isaac is 12, Abraham's 112. I think Isaac could have taken him. 
I think even at 12 years old, he could have taken a 112-year-old man, at least run away from him. Abraham ain't catching him. But something about that whole situation, Isaac seemed to be submissive and trusting of Abraham, his father. At the same time that Abraham was submissive and trusting of his father, in heaven. Life is filled with tests. James reminds us that there's going to be tests. First Peter reminds us that there's going to be tests in our lives. Abraham had several tests in his life. Why? I don't know why God did this. Why now? After all that Abraham had been through. Maybe he didn't want Abraham to get too comfortable. I'm not sure. But there are lessons to be learned from us. And the first one is, is that we do need to expect tests in life. Abraham was already used to tests from God. But nothing of this caliber, nothing of this magnitude. We all face trials and temptations and tribulations. Not all are directly from God. Let's face it. We face some trials in our lives because of our own selves. Because of our own sin, because of our own stupidity, because of our own negligence, because of our own whatever it is. We face some trials in our lives because of ourselves. We face some trials in lives because of other people. Not necessarily directly from God or whatever the case may be, but other people do dumb things that affect our lives and can cause us trials and tribulations and all these things going on in our lives. Sometimes we face trials simply because it is the experience of life. Certain bad things just happen because we are in a flawed world with a flawed system. And it may not be anybody's fault. It's just the way that it is. And sometimes though, I do think that we experience trials and testing from God. There's no doubt, is there, that this trial was directly from God? And I think that there are other trials maybe in our lives that God puts in front of us. Now there's a difference. Some of you are going to say, well, it says, you know, do not say that God contempt. There's a difference between temptation and trials. Temptation can be a type of trial. Trial is not necessarily a temptation. Now, it can lead to temptation if we handle it wrong. But we, can, we have these trials in our lives, and maybe they come from God. Maybe, and I haven't worked all this out in my head yet, maybe it comes from Satan. It is hard for me to read the book of Job. And not come away with the idea that Satan has a certain amount of power in this world. And he can test us. And he can tempt us. And he can try us. Now, the cool thing about Job for us is, you see, we got to see that story from the outside looking in. We saw everything that was going on. And we know that it was Satan that put those things on him. 
Those that were living in the bubble. Those who were going through it and seeing Abraham, Job. Job experience it. They didn't know what all was going on. But they thought they knew. This obviously comes from God. It obviously... Job, you have done something horribly wrong and God is punishing you. And the problem that Job has throughout the the whole book is that Job agrees with them. Job agrees with his friends. Job has the same theology as his friends do. He also believes that the bad things that happen in life are directly related to sin in your life, and that's his complaint against God. God, I've not done anything to deserve this. I've tried to live right. I've been righteous. This, 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 this. I haven't done anything to deserve all of this. It's not fair. Because he had the same thinking as his friends did. And we remember... We get all the way to the end of Job. Job, uh, Charlie, you've taught Job a bunch of times. Does God ever answer Job and tell him why these things were happening? He basically says, hey, I'm God. You're not. I will help you get through these things. Your faith will help you get through these things. But not one time did God tell Job... Okay, you're right. It's not me doing it. It's Satan doing it to you. He never tells Job that. Job never gets the answer of the why behind it. And there are times in our lives when we will never get the answer of why trials and tribulations come up in our lives. Hebrews talks about God's discipline. And whatever the case, whatever these trials come from, wherever they come from, They can all be used by God to strengthen our faith. And that's the point. Testing is not bad. Testing measures growth. You know, I guess testing for babies has (laughs) come a long way since either I was a baby or even my kids were a baby. But my two latest grandchildren, both of them, as soon as they were born, they had hearing tests. I don't remember my Michelle or what's her name? Brittany. Thank you. (laughs) Peyton was going to come out of my mouth, but you know, I don't remember Michelle or Brittany having hearing tests in the hospital before they came home. You know, both Paige and Keller had hearing tests and they both flunked. They both flunked. And I'm not going to tell you which set of parents. But one set of parents was freaking out because their kid had flunked the hearing test. And they said, bring them back in a month and we'll retest them. You know, I mean, we're talking, you know, nine months in there. There's all kinds of, you know, anyway, in the ears and all that stuff. I'm thinking, are you crazy? But anyway, both of them go back, have their ears tested again, and they're fine. So everybody's kind of, you know, relaxed. But some of you remember, Michelle took Keller in for his two-week checkup or something like that. And the pediatrician found a little murmur 
in his heart. Sent him to Dallas to a pediatric cardiac specialist. Found out he had a little something thing that hopefully he'll grow out of. But we don't, testing is good. It helps show our progress. You older, I shouldn't have said that that way. You more mature parents, did any of y'all ever do the little, you know, mark on the, on the doorpost thing? Watching your children, watching your children grow. That's kind of a test in a sense. You know, well, are they growing? And so our testing of our faith marks our progress. You see, well, we'll talk about that in just a minute. There's a difference between trials and temptations. We're all tempted similarly by our own desires, but our trials and our tests are kind of unique to us and our circumstances. So we can expect tests in life. Secondly, we need to focus on promises, not explanations. I found this quote. Our faith is not really tested until God asks us to bear the seemingly unbearable. Do what seems unreasonable and expect what seems impossible. We've, I've used this analogy a, a bunch of times. But how well a player practices doesn't make him a good player. How well he plays in the game. How well a soldier can drill on the drill field has nothing to do with whether or not he's going to be a good soldier. It's how he reacts on the battlefield. And the way that our faith is legitimized, is that a word? Okay is by going through trials and temptations. Wasn't that Satan's argument against Job? Of course Job is faithful. You've given him everything. And that may have been true up to that point. Job's faith may have never really been tried and tested before. But boy, it was tested then. And he came out stronger, I believe, on the other end. And that's what our trials do to us. Consider the unreasonableness of God's command Abraham I promised you for 25 years you're going to have this precious child you've had him now for let's just say 12 you've had him now for 12 years you've grown to love him you know he's the apple of your eye he, now I want you to go out and sacrifice him normally we ask why Or why me? But true faith does not demand an explanation. Faith rests on promises. Remember what Abraham said to the servants. You stay here. Me and the boy are going to go up on the mountain and sacrifice. And we will be back. We will come back to you. Abraham had no idea what was going to happen up on that mountain. But he had faith. Isn't it amazing that Abraham, at least not in the the scriptures that we're given, that Abraham did not question God? Are you nuts? Seriously? Now? After 25 years of waiting and now you want me to do this Now, 
It says immediately the next morning, Abraham set out to do what God had said. Abraham had followed God when he didn't know where. Abraham followed God when he didn't know when. Abraham when he followed God when he didn't know how. And now he's following God when he didn't know why. We don't and never will understand it all here and now. But we trust in God's wisdom and we trust in God's promises. You remember when we were doing the, the faith and doubt series? You know, I'm sorry, it's just, it is what it is. You know, we, we came down to the idea that, you know, there's going to be times when we doubt. There's going to be times when we don't understand. There's going to be times. But we have to have our faith grounded in two things. God is and God loves me. God is and God loves me. We interpret everything else under the umbrella of God is and God loves me. And I think that Abraham had finally reached that point in his life where even when God asked him to do the unspeakable, Abraham said, God is and God loves me. I don't understand it, but I'm going to do it. Thirdly, we need to depend on God's provisions or on God providing what could Abraham depend on in a moment like this? Himself? Sarah? Servants? Isaac? Where does the Lord provide in the place that he has chosen? When does the Lord provide at the right time? How does the Lord provide sometimes in very simple, ordinary things? And to whom does God provide to those who are obedient to him? And why does God provide? Because he loves us more maybe than we even love ourselves. We need to remember that God provides. Fourthly, in all things, we need to seek to glorify God. I don't think I'm alone in this. I think it would be very hard not to view this event as a foreshadowing of what God was going to do at the cross. There's so many parallels here. Now there's some differences, true, but there's so many parallel parallels. The loving father and the willing son. Jesus gave his own life. Freely. He was not forced to do it. He was not coerced by the Father. Even though it was not something he necessarily looked forward to, as we see in the garden, he freely gave his life. Isaac seems to be willing to allow whatever is about to happen to happen. The son had to die. Now, there's a cross parallel here, sort of, I think. Because where Abraham was willing to give his son to die, a substitute was found. The ram in the bushes. 
by all rights, we deserve death. By all rights, because of our sin and our trespasses and our transgressions, we're there on the altar. We're there and we deserve death. And God sends a substitute. His own Son, Jesus Christ. Perfect. Perfect. Here it was a ram, but this morning we sang Lamb of God. I love that song. That's a beautiful hymn. And we have lots of others that talk about and remember the fact that Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. Our substitute for our sin and our death. His blood cleanses us. Going back from the cross, ref, cross, whatever, analogy. The son bore the wood on the way up the mountain. Jesus bore his cross on the way to Calvary. And the son, in essence, was raised from the dead. You know, in the New Testament, it says that Abraham sacrificed his son. It was such a done deal that in God's eyes, it was as if he had done it. And now Isaac is raised essentially from the dead. And of course, Jesus on the third day rose from the dead. The results of testing. There's always kind of results of our testing. Test, first of all, there was a new approval by God. God, you know, gave his approval again to Abraham. He also had a new son, in a sense. He had new assurances. God repeats for the last time the promises that he made to Abraham 30-something years ago. And you get the idea that because of the testing that Abraham had gone through, I didn't have to promise anymore. It was a done deal. It was always a done deal on God's part. But now through faith on Abraham's part, it was a done deal. Also gives him a new name for God. You know, we, when we went through there, we talked about the different names for God that are mentioned, you know, in El Shaddai and, you know, all these different things. Here we have a new one. The Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. It's the first time it's used. The Lord will provide. And God certainly will see to it. The ultimate test of faith. And Abraham passed. Now we've studied the life of Abraham. Let me ask you something. Why now? I might not can answer the why God tested him this way. But I think I can answer the why now. If 37 years ago, God had given Abraham and Sarah a child. And it asked Abraham to go out and sacrifice him. I think Abraham would have been ready. I think it was the lifetime of these other tests along the way, of the building of the faith 
that finally led Abraham to the point where God could offer this test. And I think be confident that Abraham was going to pass this test. I don't think it would have happened in the Ur of the Chaldeans. I don't think it would have happened in Egypt. I don't think it would have happened early on in Canaan. But finally Abraham had come to the point where he trusted fully in God. God allows us to be tested when he knows we can handle them. We use that verse in 1 Corinthians. We love that verse, don't we? God is faithful and will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we can endure. And we look at that in terms of temptation. But I think the same is true for testing as well. God will not allow us to be tested before he knows we can handle it. Before he knows we have the resources. If we'll allow him to work in our lives. We need to focus on God's promises. Depend on God. Seek his glory. And let God use these tests to strengthen, not weaken, our faith. If you're here this evening, there's some way we can help or encourage you. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing.